and welcome to another episode of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media Networks. In our first eight episodes, we've talked primarily baseball, football, and soccer. And now with the NHL season recently underway, this show features our first hockey guest. Her name is Ozma Toomey, and she's the editor-in-chief of Hockey Graphs, located at hockey-graphs.com a website that focuses on analyzing and visualizing the NHL, and she's one of the more prominent voices in the online hockey analytics community. Now, I'd call myself a casual hockey fan at best, watch a couple regular season games and playoff games every year, and most of my personal knowledge of hockey analytics comes through the lens of soccer, since similar metrics are used, expected goals, for example, and both sports are much more fluid sports, obviously, than the stop-start nature you see in football and baseball. So consider this episode almost a Hockey Analytics 201 class of sorts. Uh, Asma and I will talk about challenges of hockey analytics, how to get started in the field, what some of the building blocks of hockey data are, what the new puck and player tracking data might do for the sport, Hockey Graph's mentorship program, and her love of both the programming language R and Bruins forward Brad Marchand. Then True Media's Andy Cox will join me to react to the interview and wrap things up. So without further ado, here's the Expected Value Conversation with Hockey Graphs Editor-in-Chief, Ozma Toomey. We are joined here on Expected Value by Ozma Toomey, Editor-in-Chief of Hockey Graphs, obviously a huge proponent of hockey analytics. Ozma, welcome to the show. Let's start just from a broad perspective. What are the challenges of hockey analytics relative to some of the other sports that might be a little more well-known? Hi. Well, thank you for having me and taking the time. I'm really excited to be on this podcast. I listened to a few episodes and learned so much from your guests. Good. So thanks Great. again. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, so let's, let's, uh, let's delve into the challenges of hockey analytics. There are many, and I'm going to touch upon some of them in no particular order of importance, mm-hmm. but... I would say the huge role that randomness plays in terms of game outcomes certainly makes things a lot harder for us to analyze. So a little while back, Lopez and Bomber have done a lot of research on this with really good data going back to 2006. And they were able to show that the NHL definitely stands out in terms of how hard it is to tease out actual talent from luckiness, which is what we also call noise. Mm -hmm. And very recently, too, at Nessus, the conference we were both at, some researchers found the exact same thing. So just like the MLB, in the NHL, you have the best ranked team having only about a 50-something chance of winning compared to the NBA or the NFL, where you see that percentage jump all the way to about 70%. So that's a pretty big difference right there. And Mm -hmm. there are many different reasons why that is. I think first starting with maybe the inherent differences of how the game is played and perhaps even the increasing levels of parity that we're seeing in the NHL. And it, It seems to be increasing now for a while, I would say probably since 2006. Hmm. Um, And I think right right around there in 2006, the NHL's point system changed. And some researchers like Lopez and others found that that change actually incentivized teams to play more overtime games, 
which don't get me wrong, are super fun to watch as right. a fan because it's it's total chaos and the stakes are much bigger, much bigger because it's sudden death. But we also know that overtime outcomes are even noisier than regular game outcomes. So it's basically a coin toss and having just more games go to OT definitely poses a challenge here and there. So then you also have the fact that hockey is a much lower profile sport than the other big three, right? Is that is that fair to say? <laughs> I think so. In the U.S., yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So we have a much smaller community of people that are interested in analyzing the sport. And I just want to say it's not about quantity versus quality here because I still believe we have some of the best minds uh, either doing hockey work or paying attention to hockey work. But I think when you compare the analyst communities of like, say, soccer versus hockey, like soccer is hugely popular in Europe and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So you just have way more people engaged in doing the work and also way more people publicly scrutinizing the stuff that gets put out there. And that, at least to me, might have an effect on how fast and how sophisticated soccer analytics might appear compared to hockey because public scrutiny is is, is really important in advancing our methods um, forward. And honestly, I'm quite certain that if I were to just do a literature search on how many journal publications each sport has, I think it's safe to say that the NHL would be at the bottom and perhaps soccer would be uh, pretty up there. Yeah, big advantage for soccer, the international nature and so many different countries and obviously just the volume of people interested in the sport. Right. I want to look at the some of the building blocks of hockey analytics. So someone like me, like my familiarity with hockey analytics is primarily kind of through the lens of soccer because there's some similarities there. So for someone, whether it's like me or even a little further back, what are some of the foundational, just a couple foundational stats of hockey analytics, like numbers you'd point someone to if they're just trying to get into the sport from a data perspective? Sure. Uh, before before I get into the stats or metrics that are good starting points, I, I just want to say that maybe delving straight into the metrics and the numbers might not be the best idea for mm -hmm. a beginner. I think it's I think it's better to first identify a question or just a facet of the game that you might find interesting. Mm -hmm. Or it could it could even be just a comment from one of the announcers or a hashtag hot take you found on Twitter, right? right? As long just just identify something you're specifically interested at, and then I would then hop onto a website called Meta Hockey. And for those that don't know what Meta Hockey is, it's a hockey repository of everything that's been published. Everything that's been published, of course, having to do with with analytics. Right. And I think it's a fantastic resource for anyone looking to get into this stuff. I think the NBA might have a similar resource called NBA Stuffer. So just a quick little shout out to all those people making resources like these. So yeah, so once I, I identify a question or something I'm interested in, go to that website, read some relevant articles. And when you're reading those articles, I would pay special attention to the metrics that they might be using. Mm 
to contextualize some things. And that's, that's the best way to get exposed to these metrics in a pretty gentle way. Uh, so then what I would do is go to some websites like Evolving Hockey and HockeyViz. That's where those metrics live and you can check them out. And they do really a fantastic job of segmenting that data based on the different levels you'd want to look at. So whether that's team level, season level, skater level, goalie level, anything you'd be interested at, they make they make it really easy to navigate that in a way that's not uh, overwhelming at all to you. So the point I'm trying to make is I would try to start my hockey analytics journey incrementally, right? Because it's really, really easy to get overwhelmed if you just hop onto these analytics websites right away or go to hockey graphs and try to wrap your mind around some really, really technical articles. So that that would be my my advice. The stats that have been developed over the last, you know, say 10 years, uh, obviously you're starting with the basic stats, your goals, your assists, plus minus, ice time, whatever. Uh, kind of what's the general progression that has happened since then uh, as the analytics have developed? So we've obviously moved uh, away from box score stats as the main stats that we use to make assessments on players and teams, obviously. Now we have a lot of sophisticated metrics that I'm sure will sound familiar to those that are into soccer, NFL, MLB. So we have expected goals, we have war models, we have goals above replacement models. One that we've adapted from basketball is regularized adjusted plus minus. Mm -hmm. And we have that for skater level and, and team levels. And those are all excellent metrics to get into as a fan. Uh, what, what I like to do pretty frequently is actually just go on those websites and pull, pull the letter boards and, and try not to get too mad at my favorite player not appearing on those on those letter boards, but it's an excellent way to just familiarize yourself with those. And if you're curious, go go ahead and and, and read up on those methodologies. So you talked talked about expected goals and there's other similar kind of shooting models and such. It seems like this is again kind of like soccer. A lot of these popular metrics focus on offense and then kind of from the reverse perspective, goalies. What about from a defenseman perspective? What sort of numbers or analytics or just kind of viewpoints would you have to try and put a value on a defenseman aside from your you know standard plus minus sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, we we have a saying in hockey, and I'm I'm sure it's it's probably the same in soccer. the The best defense is a good offense, mm -hmm. and so I I would say yes that that our metrics may appear to be more offensively minded, but I believe that the the ones I cited, so regularized, adjusted, plus minus, that has a defensive component mm -hmm. into it, and and so do the WAR and the goals above replacement models, even though. Yeah, to someone just starting out, they may think, oh, like the acronym has wins and right. the other one has goals. So it's 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 hard to to know that without without delving into the 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 publications themselves. But yes, they do incorporate a defensive component in them. And I do agree that we have a long way to go when it comes to 
quantifying and evaluating defense. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't have access to tracking data Mm -hmm. uh, that would really, really help us shore up our defensive analysis for sure. So let's talk about that tracking data. The NHL officially started puck tracking, player tracking this season. So you mentioned the defense measuring defenseman's uh, ability to some extent is something you'd be excited to get out of this data. What else would be interesting to you? If they, if someone kind of cut you loose and said, here's all the data, obviously you'd be overwhelmed, but where might you start or what questions might you want to answer right away? Ooh, uh, there are so <laughs> many, there's so, so many questions. Uh, I think the NHL in terms of analytics is relatively new, right? Mm-hmm. We're not the MLB who's, who've been doing this for, for decades. Right. So there's so just, there's just, First of all, there's so many low-hanging fruit analysis that that ought to be done, um, and the the stuff we can do with tracking data is 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 even more overwhelming. I'm I'm honestly really really excited to see how it will help us improve. Uh, I've I've gotten to see some of that tracking data with my zone entry project that I presented at Nessus, mm-hmm. and the potential is just enormous. Um, immediately, what the in the improvements I think that can be made is with many metrics that, that we've been bringing up all along. So let's take expected goals, for instance. I think incorporating pre-shot movement, so the time and the X and Y coordinates of a pass preceding a shot on goal will certainly improve that metric by mm. a significant margin. Things like stick positioning, might also help us measure some of the aspects that go into what we call shooting talent. So changes in angle prior to shot, things like velocity, blade angle, direction, all that good stuff. I think it would also improve our goaltending analysis, which has probably been the most difficult to nail down because... We have a saying again in hockey that goalies are kind of voodoo and Hmm. honestly will probably remain voodoo after the tracking data is here. But but I really hope we make at least some progress there, given how much of an impact goaltending can have uh, on a game's outcome. Right. So I'm excited also about the defensive aspect, too, which I think is is probably the, the second one that we're lacking the most on. So I would say number one is goaltending analysis. Number two is is defense. Um, and there's there's a lot, too, that can be done to improve our war and RAPA metrics uh, because if, if you don't know what those are, they basically have a lot of components in them. So improving our defensive component in them will be huge for us. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think soccer is kind of in a – you know, a, a little bit ahead of hockey, kind of in the tracking data. And so it's exciting to see it from a soccer perspective. And you're right, there's so much data. They're just kind of like, oh man, where do I start with all this? But it's, these are good <laughs> right. problems to have, right? Right, exactly. They, they are they are good problems, but they will be a huge headache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just just my experience uh, working with with just a segment of tracking data, right? Like I, I asked athletes to just give me zone entries and that was really, really hard mm. to manipulate. I, I remember it, it took us probably three to four months to shape it into a form where we could actually use it to make our analysis, meaning running our actual models that we were interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think 
we think that, oh, there's plenty of tracking data. I'm going to go crazy now. But uh, it's never that clean. I remember, I think Danny Chu said it at Nessus. Like, he was actually surprised how clean the NFL's tracking data was. And it made it, you know, relatively easy to work with. But I mean, the NHL's, I've read some issues they've had with early season tracking data, like shot uh, XY coordinates being way off. What's, what exactly is going on there from what you know? Oh, so Evolving Wild, they're the people that developed Evolving Hockey website Mm -hmm. and some of the metrics we were talking about. Uh, They, they were wondering why their XG models vastly underrated. Uh, some players and they did some digging around and found that I I believe shots around the crease weren't accurate location wise. Hmm. And, and that's a big deal because expected goals really do rely on those distances to, to, to calculate the probability of a shot being a goal. And so they just tweeted this at maybe 10 PM in the night and it was awesome to see actually the NHL's response. They took it seriously and fixed it, I think, less than a day after they initially tweeted. Nice. So that was a feel good moment. You know, the NHL is definitely paying attention to the stuff we're doing. Um, and, and they've been very proactive that way. And, and that's that, that's my hope that as, as tracking data comes, there will be a lot of hiccups. And we've heard about those from other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as everyone keeps keeps working together and we have multiple checks, meaning like the public can can see if something's wrong and call it out. Analysts within teams can also call it out. It, it will it will create a, a, a much better environment uh, for us to, to deal with this m- mammoth amount of, of data. Any ideas or you know, blue sky dreams like what would be next beyond I was this tracking data is going to take a while to kind of absorb and for people to process and, and do great things with what what might be next in hockey analytics world kind of aside from the tracking data stuff? I think what we can do with that tracking data is 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 going to shape uh, what's what's next for hockey analytics in terms of the sophistication level that we might ascend to. I think. Sorry, I'm. I'm, I'm going to keep talking no, about tracking I mean, data. The next big thing by far. Uh, I, right. I think also f- from from the viewpoint of fans, uh, I know that the NHL has recently struck a deal with a company called SMT, and SMT will be responsible for the development and the implementation of tracking data, and their team within that company is led by Andrew Thomas, who was one of the forefathers of of hockey analytics, an extremely brilliant man who will do really great things there. What I'm particularly excited about, though, is that I think analytics will be brought to the mainstream even more than it is now, because part of their deal is SMT making interactive visualizations. Mm for both teams and media companies. So hopefully the media companies display right. those during during a game and, and that would really, really help us in making this stuff more mainstream. And, and, and that would have a lot of downward effects in terms of um, increasing our analyst community yeah. and just elevating the entire discourse of analytics. Yeah, I gotta imagine people see the the data, the images and like, oh, that means I could get in there and play around with this or whatever it might be. I want to talk about hockey graphs for a minute. You have a mentorship program. I think you just launched for this next kind of academic year of sorts. It pairs mentors in the industry with mentees, particularly 
from underrepresented groups, women, minorities, et cetera. And you've been doing this for, for a couple of years. Tell me about this program, why it's important and how it's gone for you so far. Sure. Uh, setting this program up is honestly one of my proudest achievements and I love to talk about it because this idea came from back in 2015. So back back then I collaborated on a project with Dawson Springings, who is an analyst now for the Colorado Avalanche. And it was awesome to collaborate with someone whose skills and domain knowledge was much greater than mine. And I thought, this this should be an experience that as many people should be having. This is an excellent way to to get your feet wet and learn a lot about programming and statistical methods. So I thought, why not why not start this program and link up beginners to established analysts in the field? And it's been a huge success every year. And now we're at the third edition. Every year I get about a hundred applicants. I only have so many mentors. I have about 20 every year. Uh, so it's, it's, it's difficult to get in, but once you're in, it's, it's been an awesome experience for those that have been able to participate. Uh, I think one of, one of my mentees, her name is Judy Cohen. She got a job with the Toronto Maple Leafs, right after her mentorship program. So it's, it's been exciting to see so many teams and so much of the public be as enthusiastic uh, as I am about this, about this program. And we're growing every year. And this year I've added a fresh new set of mentors who I'm really excited about. This year the focus was to bring in some more diverse, diverse mentors in terms of skill sets. So hopefully that that will generate some content in aspects of the game that haven't been uh, explored much yet. That's great. No, I mean, obviously, we know this is an industry that uh, needs to get more diverse and reach out to these un- unrepresented people. So I think this is a good one good way to do it. What other uh, suggestions might you have? I know this, again, this is an eternal problem in the sports analytics industry. What other suggestions would you have to get more women, more minorities into the field? Yeah, sure. Uh I might be making this point in a very roundabout way, but I think with tracking data coming, teams are going to be looking for talent that's not immediately visible to them on like Twitter or the internet or the blogosphere. I think increasingly they will be looking to computer scientists, data engineers, software developers, that that kind of, of talent to be able to make sense and, and, and wrangle that tracking data. And my hope is that in, in those fields, we have way easier time finding diverse people than we do in the sports blogosphere. Mm-hmm. So I hope that will be a very natural uh process and and progress hopefully they will be looking for people like that and i i i just had a recent example of this carolina hurricanes their director of analytics eric tolsky hired a a a female data scientist who was a neurologist at a university i think i think it must have been a stanford or another 
university in California. So we have our first kind of precedent being set there. And I hope that that will continue. Nice. I want to talk about your background a little bit, just kind of what you do, how you got here. I know hockey graphs isn't your day job. Uh, you work as a data analyst for Mass General Hospital. Tell me you know, what you can, at least high level, about what you do for them and maybe how that kind of overlaps with your hockey work from a skill set standpoint. Sure. So I applied for this job because I developed a lot of data science skills by playing around with hockey statistics and hockey analytics, which is kind of funny. Um, so what I do at MassGen is health outcomes research. So that involves a lot of cost-effective analysis of treatments and drugs in order to make healthcare more efficient. And for now, there aren't many overlaps with my hockey work, but I was actually really excited about what your recent guest, I believe D Daniel Adler from the mm -hmm. Minnesota yep. Twins had mentioned in passing something about cost-effective analysis and how we need to do more of that in, in sports. So I'm, I'm hoping that that overlap will grow as, as time goes on and as I learn more about that, that kind of economic analysis yeah, yeah. for sure. But honestly, anything, anything I, I do learn and apply for my day job is immediately applicable to hockey because, because what, what I do in hockey is statistical and analytical research. So I'm, I'm excited for those to, 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 to keep growing as, as time goes by. And what did your academic path look like to kind of get to this point in your career? Where did you go to school? What did you study to get here? Sure. I have a bachelor's, I have a science bachelor's degree in life sciences. And through my undergrad, I did a lot of, of clinical and basic science research, which was my first exposure to evidence-based research. And I did my undergrad at McGill University in Montreal. And obviously mm -hmm. hockey is a huge thing over there. And so I I started getting into Twitter and as I was learning more about clinical research, I I wanted to apply some of the stuff I was learning there to hockey. So I started just playing around uh, with some stuff there. And the rest is history <laughs> from there. <laughs> so the, did the hockey love really start at McGill or, or where did the hockey love come from? Sure. I actually, I actually played some hockey in my younger years. My okay. brother was, was much more into that. And my best friend on the team was a Bruins fan. So sometimes we'd get rides with each other or we'd, we'd have sleepovers and she'd be watching the Bruins. And that was around the time when the Bruins were getting good. So circa 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. And obviously it helped things that a year later they won the cup and I've been obsessed ever since. Nice. I like it. <laughs> and it was actually, it was, it was really funny being a Bruins fan in Montreal. I got a lot of hostility for it, which I, I loved even more. That's just my character. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so from what I can tell, you are a big fan of the programming language R, which again, kind of from an outsider perspective, personally, it seems like it has some detractors and has passionate defenders and you fall more in the latter category. So I want to give you a chance kind of to get on your soapbox. Why would you encourage someone to learn R? 
I would say the biggest reason is community. Like when you start out with programming, you're going to face so many hurdles. Your, your code's going to crash. Things will not work because you missed a period or parentheses here and there. So, so you mm-hmm. want a community that understands that, that frustration, that, that understands what it's like to delve into a programming language when you're not a computer sci major, when you're not a software developer, right? That's, that's what our stats community is, is for me. Our stats community, I, I think, is, is mostly comprised of people doing statistical and analytical research. So they're very open to helping you out. And that's been my experience. I've, I've, I've been met with nothing but compassion and kindness in, in that community. And I also love the language more, I would say, than maybe other scripting languages because it's, a, it's very readable. So I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with a package called Tidyverse or Dplyr, but they have these they have these commands that allow you to do things that you you would need to do when you're cleaning a data set or you're trying to analyze it, and they're actual verbs. So things like filter, arrange, spread, gather, and when you're looking at your code after not touching it for like three months, it's it's so easy for me to just get up and running and understand what the heck I was doing four months ago. And that inherent readability makes, makes a really big difference. I think, I think Namita actually had tweeted this a couple months ago. So Namita, she's Namita Nanda Kumar. She's a quantitative analyst for the Eagles. And she tweeted how she had shown a chunk of her code to her mother, who knows nothing about code. And in just maybe three or five minutes, her mom was able to understand every piece of, of that code. Wow. So that just speaks to, to, to the power of interpretability of that language. Um, I, th- I think I, I, I can't speak to, to other scripting languages like Python mm-hmm. or, or C++ because I, I haven't had much experience with those. But I, I would say because my journey as a beginner with it was, was so pleasant and so productive, I, that's the language I, I would recommend to uh, people wanting to get into sports analytics. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the most common language in, in sports analysts and a lot of packages like um, like NFL scraper, uh, some of the hockey ones are in R. So definitely learning R would, would pay dividends one day. If, if you are looking to build your own package or adapt some of these packages. Nice. That's a, it's a good defense. You've sold me on that. Uh, <laughs> let's, I want to finish things up, uh, going through some of your favorites, just ask some random questions and we'll start off with what is your favorite number or your lucky number? My favorite number is 63 because that is Brad Marchand's number and he's my favorite player. <laughs> All right. So that answers the question. Why, what's the draw of him? Why did you pick him as your favorite? He's amazing. And he's actually the reason why I got into hockey analytics at first. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily because I was trying to apply what I was learning in, in clinical research to hockey, but it, it, it was it was because I got on Twitter and a lot of people said that Brad Marchand was uh, basically taking advantage of Bergeron, his center, who is an 
excellent mm-hmm. all-around player and I was not convinced of that at all so for stubborn reasons I I stuck around and tried to make my case that no Brad Marchand is is his own amazing player and obviously you can't just say that you have to have facts and and stats and analytics to back it up so I started poking around here and there and tried to make my case with analytics and I realized well got to do better than that and and that's when I linked up with Dawson and we made expected goals and yeah, the the rest again is is history there. But he's he's a, an amazing, amazing, amazing player, and he's he's so important to, to my journey that I was actually toying with the idea of writing a, a mini book of, about that. So stay tuned. <laughs> Good tease right there. Last week, uh, ESPN ran an article. A lot of hockey writers and analysts listed their least favorite hockey stats. What is your least favorite? Like the one you hear on TV or read an article and it just kind of infuriates you a little bit. What's your least favorite stat and why? Oh, I don't know about infuriate because yeah, maybe I, that's I, overstating it a little bit. Right. But. I think I think I think it's hysterical today okay. to be using like plus minus. Mm-hmm. Not not the plus minus we've all we've been talking about in this podcast, not the regularized right. adjusted right. one, but just like straight up plus minus because it's, it's it's been years. We have way better tools like we shouldn't be using that kind of stuff. Um, I think also we put a little bit too much emphasis on points to assess whether a player is good or not. Like there's just many metrics out there that do a much better job at weighing a player's complete skill level and what they bring to the team so for me just sticking to points is is a huge disservice to yourself it's a it's a disservice to the fans we truly care about making a thorough assessment of a player and also there's a lot of noise mm-hmm. in in points because right. they contain secondary assists which we've proven again and again and again that they're not indicative of player skill so right. that's my little two cents on yeah <laughs> No, just the things you got to roll your eyes. That'd be like baseball, you know, your RBI. And if they're using it, like you're saying, to try and prove a point, I think analysts will roll their eyes knowing there's noise and it's opportunities and all that stuff. So yeah, same sort of thing there. Uh, What's the, your favorite game or maybe the best game that you've ever attended in person? Could be hockey, could be any sport. Uh, I would say it was the 2013 playoffs game seven. Boston Bruins versus Toronto Maple Leafs. So that's already mm. one of the hottest matchups in, yeah. in hockey. It was 4-1 Leafs with two minutes to go in the third period. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, that that was it. Like, What are you going to do? Score three goals in a minute right. in, a, in a playoff game? That's nuts. So, like, Nathan Horton scored with, like, maybe a minute and a half or a minute and 20 seconds left. And I, as a sports fan, you just feel defeated, but also like a little glimmer of hope, which is actually kind mm-hmm. of annoying because you're like back <laughs> into hoping. Yeah. I just wanted <laughs> to quit. Exactly. Exactly. Like let this be over. But then 10 seconds later, they score again. And then again. And I thought like I was losing my mind. Like you, you, you I, I don't know if you were on Twitter that night, but it's just one of the best nights of my life. So they scored again and then they went to (laughs) overtime and they scored again. And it was just the most joyful night of my life. And it's still a game that I like to watch in entirety, Mm -hmm. maybe like two or three times a year because it's just hysterical. And especially the highlights, I would, I would honestly encourage anyone who's a sports fan to go and watch like a four minute highlight video of that game on YouTube. It's, insanely entertaining 
Now, when you rewatch the game, do you watch the whole thing or do you just start I it with a couple around. minutes left in the third? <laughs> I definitely do skip around, but I do focus on that, on those last like four to five minutes because they're just absolutely epic. <laughs> That's a good story to end with. The, the passion you have for the sport really comes through and it's good that you can still you know, be a fan. It's the best sport, isn't it? I did not grow up with hockey around, around Kansas City. So unfortunately... I didn't grow up just experiencing it, but I went to college outside Chicago and went to a lot of Blackhawks games. And I was like, this is great. I wish I had been like raised on this and had this in my blood in the same way. So yeah, it's a good sport. And like I said, you go there in person. I think the experience is even better. Definitely. So that's a good story to kind of put a bow on things for us. Ozma Toomey, editor-in-chief of Hockeygrass. Thank you for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Back in the True Media Network studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Ozma Toomey, Editor-in-Chief of Hockey Graphs, for joining us here on Expected Value. You can follow her on Twitter at Ozma Toomey. That's A-S-M-A-E underscore T-O-U-M-I. And read her work and that of her colleagues at HockeyGraphs.com. I'm joined now by True Media's Andy Cox, probably our company's biggest hockey fan, living down in Carolina Hurricanes country. Andy, you listened to the interview with Ozma. What were a couple of your takeaways from that? Um, well, a couple quick things first. Um, first, I just want to touch on the, the mentorship program that you guys talked about. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Getting more people into the field, especially from um, traditionally underrepresented groups, can only help the field grow. Yep. She mentioned the recent uh, hire by the Hurricanes, a data scientist, and I guess I might be a little biased as a native North Carolinian, but I love that hire, um, and especially by a team that is generally seen as being kind of in the forefront of analytics in the NHL. So, and also, as you know, I'm a big visualization guy. Right. Um, so some of the stuff she mentioned are some great sites for analytics, like HockeyViz, Charting Hockey. Um, I think unlike a lot of the other sports, we, we're seeing these sites, the visualization sites, kind of leading the way in analytics. Um, it, it could just be because they're more recent. Uh, the, the hockey growth is more recent. And visualization is a lot more popular now than it was you know, back when baseball analytics were coming along. But I think those were two, uh, two kind of little quick things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big topics is she talked about randomness or luck or noise or whatever you want to call it kind of early on. Um, I mean, it's certainly kind of like in soccer. It's, it's a challenge where scoring is limited. There's not that many goals. And, and so one goal here or there can have a much larger impact on the outcome of the game uh, as compared to basketball or, or football. There's more scoring. But I think it's also like the idea of randomness or luck is, is something that affects all sports. Um, but fans and players and coaches of some degree don't always like to acknowledge it because it kind of makes it sound like, they don't have as much control over it or the outcome is not because of their skills. Um, right. So I, I kind of like to think of it not as maybe randomness because that's more of like a statistical kind of terminology, but you know, it means a little different colloquially when we talk about it. So you know, maybe talking about it as uncertainty or just those kind of small things that are hard to measure. Um, so you know, like a, a jump shot, a uh, slight difference in your elbow angle might not be that noticeable, um, but it makes a big difference for whether the shot's going to go in. Just a couple inches can make a difference or you know, swinging a baseball bat, missing the center of the ball by a couple millimeters is going to have a big difference on whether it's a weak pop-up or grounder or a home run. So that's kind of what I, well, I think about when we talk about randomness in sports. Um, and she, she mentioned that paper, the research by uh, Michael Lopez and some others about, um, you know, how, what big, a, what a role randomness plays in the outcome of different games. And he kind of talked about that same thing, uh, the, the idea of just these little small differences, like a grounder missing a glove barely. Mm-hmm. Um, where in reality, they're not that big of a thing, but they can drastically uh, affect the outcome of it. So yep. um, I thought that was interesting to touch on there. 
Yeah, it's always you hear baseball is a game of inches. I mean, it's really every game is like that, I think, because yeah. there's so much. You know, a fumble bounces a certain way. A guy, you know, I mean, how often are NBA games basically decided by, you know, who shoots threes better that one night? Or Yeah, or, or like that Kawhi Leonard jump shot last year in the playoffs, right? right? Bounced off the rim four times and fell right. in, but that decided the series. So yep. it's, you know, yeah, the little thing. That you know, one out of, you know, I don't know, even if it's one out of three times or something. You know, that yeah. it just changes the course of obviously the whole playoffs and everything. Yeah. It's like the, the crash Davis, the ground ball with eyes, right? Exactly. Just one more of those yeah. per year. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a Royals fan, uh, the 2014 wildcard game, like they won that on a ground ball down the line that Josh Donaldson was an inch, not even out of position. He just missed it diving by an inch. And yeah. that triggered a great or continued a great two-year run for the Royals and everything. I was struck by one of her first answers about to someone trying to get into hockey analytics. Uh, and she suggested doing it by trying to answer questions instead of trying to understand metrics. And at first that kind of seemed backward to me, I guess, because I usually approach it as, okay, I want to understand what these numbers are and how they're determined and then figure out how to apply them. But the more I thought about it, and as she kind of explained it, it really, it really does make sense, especially if you're just less familiar with the data or even the sport uh, to figure out what you want to answer and then what tools you can use to apply it, you know, because I think by, as I would learn metrics and learn what the data is, I'd eventually get to what she's talking about. I just kind of do it a different sort of way. So it was very kind of an academic answer from her to have a question before uh, knowing what all your tools even necessarily are, but it made a lot of sense. And just a different sort of approach to hear that was pretty interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the, there's so many kind of nuanced little uh, analytics and metrics in hockey. If you're not familiar with it, um, it can certainly be overwhelming to just sort of jump in and, you know, look at Corsi and PDO and all these stats when it's like, I just want to get a basic feel for why teams score and how they do it. But I think like she said, right. starting with a question and whether it's triggered by something you're on TV or something you read in a, a blog article or see on Twitter, whatever it is. Um, I, I think that's that's fantastic advice. So yeah, I love that. Yep, it was good. And also, like she, she was talking about how to diversify. It kind of goes along with this, but and one of her suggestions is by looking out sports and outside of sports analytics into other spheres. Like some of the diversification is just going to happen naturally when you're pulling in from other fields. And that mm -hmm. kind of goes to this as far as people approaching problems differently, answering questions differently, and just kind of thinking about how in, how to use data and how to use the analytics differently. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that you know in baseball when they start up ramping their ramping up their their departments, they pulled a lot from fields like economics and things where there was a lot of mm -hmm. uh, you know, a vast history of, of analysis and a lot of that's grounded in theory there. But applying them to problems in sports analytics was kind of like that light bulb that you know once one team started doing it well, they all just sort of jumped onto the same thing. All right. Thanks, Andy. That'll wrap things up for this edition of Expected Value. My thanks again to Ozma Toomey, Editor-in-Chief of Hockey Graphs, for joining us on the show. A couple names she mentioned were previously guests here on Expected Value, Twins Director of Analytics Daniel Adler and the NFL's Director of Football Data and Analytics Michael Lopez. So check out the archives to listen to those shows. A reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this show wherever you get podcasts. Feedback, questions, guest suggestions are all welcome via email, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com or on Twitter at truemediasports or at Paul Carr. Our guest next week will be Mike Goodman, soccer writer and managing editor of StatsBomb.com. If you're into soccer stats and analytics, you've probably read his work on one of seemingly dozens of sites. He had a good piece this week about pairing data and the eye test, and we'll chat about that in the next show. So on behalf of our principal software engineer, Andy Cox, and everyone else here at True Media Networks, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. We'll